Good morning, New Life. My name is Chris. We haven't had a chance uh, to meet yet. Before we dive into our message this morning, I just want to kind of put one reminder out before you. Coming up next month, actually it's a Saturday morning, May 5th, is our next Serve Asheville. So if you're new here, you may not know what that is. If you were here last year, you probably do have an idea of what that is. But uh, Serve Asheville is a time uh, in in our city where about 10 or 12 churches uh, come together And we really, for one day, we just kind of flood our city uh, with the love of Jesus, and we do all sorts of mission projects around our city, all in the name of Jesus. We've seen really remarkable things come of this. Our city officials are actually, for the first time, beginning to to trust, trust the Christian community and come to us and ask for help. And so it's been this really cool thing, and so I want to encourage you. Uh, my community group has signed up to take a, an entire project. If you're in a community group, I would encourage you to go to your leader and say, hey, the pastor said uh, we, should, we should do this. And so I want to encourage you. Uh, we'll have sign-ups for that in the lobby beginning next Sunday. So we'll have all sorts of different projects. would encourage you to be a part of that. If you're in a group, uh, get your whole group involved in that. It's going to be a, a good day as we go out into our city in the name of Jesus. Now, we're, we're now in the second week in our new message series called The Hard Sayings of Jesus. And I don't know if you know this or not, but Jesus taught some really hard things. In fact, in John's gospel, there's this one scene where Jesus finishes teaching and his disciples, his own disciples, come to him and they literally say, Jesus, this is a hard saying. This is a hard saying. That's where we get the title of this sermon series. They say, Jesus, if this is true, who can listen to it? Who can, who can even follow you? Who can understand this? So even his own disciples had to wrestle with some really difficult, radical, challenging teachings of Jesus. And I think some of his teachings are hard because they're difficult to understand. You just read it and you're like, man, what, what was he even saying? What was he trying to convey? And then there are other teachings of his that I think are hard, not because they're hard for us to comprehend or understand. They're hard because they're difficult to live out in our lives. Just like the teaching that we looked at last week, love your enemies. I mean, I think we can understand that pretty well, right? We can wrap our our minds around that teaching, but it is incredibly hard to actually live that out, to love people in a sacrificial way whom we maybe disagree with or whom we just don't like very much. That's that's just hard to flesh that out in our lives. This week, we're going to be talking about one of the most famous hard sayings or hard teachings of Jesus In fact, if you're here this morning and you're not even a Christian, maybe you've never even been in a church before, you've probably heard this saying before. Here it is. Judge not, lest you be judged. I think this is, hands down, the most popular teaching of Jesus in our culture today. It gets used oftentimes to support this, uh, this idea in our culture that there is no absolute truth. Right, so we hear that a lot, right? There's no absolute truth, which, by the way, when someone makes that claim, when someone says there, there is no absolute truth, that is an absolute truth claim. So they, they sort of undercut their argument right from the beginning. Right from the beginning. And here's, that, here's how that thought goes in our, in our culture. The idea is kind of this. Listen, what works for you is good for you. And what works for me is good for me. So it's kind of like, look, if you like country music, I like rock music, so it's all, it's all good, right? You like milk chocolate? I like dark chocolate. And just for the record, dark chocolate is much better than milk chocolate. It's even more healthy for you, just for the record. Look, and so the idea is everybody has their own truth. 
So if it's true for you, then it must be true. And if anything ever gets challenged in somebody's life, they'll kind of whip out this saying of Jesus so fast and make your head spin, and they'll say, judge not, <laughs> right? It's in the Bible. Jesus said that. Or sometimes they'll change it just a little bit, and they'll say, only God can judge me. In fact, that may be the most popular teaching of Jesus that gets tattooed on people, right? I've seen that a lot, right? Only God can judge me. You see that a lot on people's arms or wherever. Only God can judge me as if to say to the world, you don't have the right to question me. You don't have the right to to challenge anything in my life because Jesus said so. Even if they've never read the Bible, they know it's in there somewhere. He said it somewhere in there, so it must be true, right? But the question is, is that really what Jesus taught? Is that really what Jesus taught? That's what we'll be unpacking together uh, this morning. And so if you have a copy of the scriptures, either in print or on your device, please make your way over to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew's gospel chapter 7. We're going to spend our time kind of drilling down there this morning. And this teaching uh, of Jesus is part of his most famous sermon, known as the Sermon on the Mount. This was very early on in Jesus' ministry. He kind of burst onto the scenes, and the crowds are, are, are swelling almost to unmanageable levels as Jesus is healing people. He's performing these incredible miracles. He's teaching with authority that people had never seen before. And so Jesus goes up onto this mountain so that the entire crowd of thousands and thousands of people who had begun to follow him could actually see him and hear him as he prepared to deliver his most famous sermon ever. Uh, I've actually been on this hillside overlooking the Sea of Galilee. It's just this stunningly beautiful setting. And this is where Jesus goes to teach the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus gets up on this mountain. He's got this this crowd, this sea of people, as far as you can see. And he just starts teaching these incredible, radical, revolutionary truths that left people kind of simultaneously, I think, shocked and amazed. They were just dazzled by Jesus. And we're going to pick up right in the middle of that uh, famous sermon of Christ, the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 7. We're going to pick up in verse 1. This is Christ teaching here. He says this, Judge not that you be not judged. For the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye when there's a log in your own eye? You hypocrite! First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy, Do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Now, I want to settle what Jesus is not saying here before we really dive into what he was actually teaching here. Jesus was not teaching that there is no absolute truth. So he wasn't saying there's no absolute truth, and so you should never challenge or correct another person person in a loving way. Now, we know that Jesus wasn't teaching that because Jesus himself constantly taught absolute truths, did he not? I mean, the most famous of which is the time where Jesus taught, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. That's pretty absolute. And Jesus constantly taught these absolute truths. He also wasn't, he wasn't saying that we can't challenge people because Jesus was constantly challenging the Pharisees. 
These religious, elite, kind of legalistic people of his day. I mean, if anybody would have had the, uh, the, only, the only God can judge me tattoo on their forearms in kind of like a self-righteous way, it would have been the Pharisees. And yet Jesus was constantly challenging the Pharisees. He was constantly lighting into them. Listen to what Jesus taught in Luke's gospel, 17, chapter 17, verse 3. He says, if your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them, and if they repent, forgive them. So Jesus says, if we sin against one another, we are to go directly to the person and rebuke. And that word means correct. We are to correct them. There's this, in fact, there's this incredible story in the book of Galatians where Peter, the apostle Peter, is beginning to sell out a little bit. He's starting to sell out a little bit on the purity and the freedom of the gospel. And Paul, the apostle Paul, shows up in town. And they have a public showdown. Paul publicly calls out Peter in front of everybody right to his face. Now, there's no indication that these two powerhouse leaders in the early church movement weren't friends. I think they were, but they knew that they had to challenge one another. That was the pattern of the early church. It was always truth in love, truth in love. So clearly, Jesus is not espousing this idea that everybody's personal opinions is, is kind of like an equally valid truth. And so you should never challenge or correct one another. So the question then becomes, if that's not what Jesus was teaching, what was he actually teaching here? I think we have to start uh, with the interesting fact that the Greek word Jesus uses here that we translate in the English judge is krino. Krino. And I, want to, I just want to read the definition of this word that we translate judge from Jesus. Here's the definition. To try someone, like in a judicial sense, to condemn, punish, avenge, damn someone, decree, judge, ordain, call into question, or sentence someone, like a judge would sentence a criminal. In other words, Jesus was saying, he was teaching us not to condemn another person, not to pronounce a final judgment on them and just walk away from them as if they were completely hopeless. Jesus was saying, don't write someone off as if they are a completely lost cause and just kind of think to yourself, well, man, I tried everything I could. They're probably going to hell anyway. I'm just going to wash my hands of them. They are hopeless. That type of final judgment is only for God the Father. And Jesus says, listen, if you condemn people like this in a harsh way, if you just write people off as a hopeless cause, listen, that is the same type of judgment you will receive from God the Father. Ouch. That sink in just for a minute. Friend, do you feel the weightiness of what Jesus just said here? He's saying this is a huge deal. God takes this very seriously. You don't just write people off and condemn them as hopeless or useless. And that leads us to our first kind of take-home truth this morning in the text. Believer, condemn people at your own risk. Condemn people at your own risk. God takes this incredibly seriously. When we write somebody off and we become judge, jury, and executioner in our own minds, and by the way, as I was studying that this week, this teaching really messed with me. And it really messed with me, and it messed with me in a, in a, in a good way because here's what I realized. I'm guilty of this. I'm guilty of this. And I had to spend time just repenting before I could actually get up here and preach this to you with a clear conscience. Because Jesus is saying, this is not okay. 
It's not okay to condemn people. It's not okay to walk away from them and write them off. Don't do it. As I was kind of processing this teaching this week, I was just, I was saddened by the thought about, man, how many churches in our culture have treated and responded to those with whom we may disagree on certain issues, whether that's sexual ethics or other hot-button issues in our culture. Now, before I go on, let me, let me say this. I want you to hear this clearly. I'm not saying that Jesus taught compromise on truth. He didn't. Amen. Never. We never compromise on the truth of God's word or his design for his people in his world. But we know that ultimately we only flourish as people as we live the way that our creator designed for us to live. That being said, and this is important, so if you tuned out, tune back in here. It is absolutely possible for us to win an argument and lose the person. Did you know that? It is absolutely possible for us to win an argument and lose the, the, lose the person. It's possible for us to win the battle and lose a war for a person. So here's the second big idea this morning, and this isn't original to me. This comes from a pastor named Andy Stanley down in Atlanta, Georgia, but it's a profound truth. And here it is. Believer, oftentimes you can either make a point or you can make a difference. You can choose to make a point and be right, or you can choose to make a difference in somebody's life. Listen, you can be right all day long. You can just intellectually destroy people in arguments and in the process, chase them away from God. Or you can choose to love them first and let God work on the issues in their hearts over time. And as that person sees that you love them more than you care about being right, they'll be far more apt to listen to what you say as you begin to engage them about patterns in their life that you know are harmful to them. But listen, you have to love them first. We don't condemn people. We don't write people off. We don't love winning more than we love a person created in the image of God. And again, Jesus is not saying that we never address sin. He's not saying that we never address dangerous patterns in people's lives, but we do that as we just absolutely love the mess out of them. We just love them unconditionally. Now think back, think back to the story in the Gospels where this woman was caught in adultery. Um, do you guys remember that story in the Gospels? This woman was literally caught in the act of adultery. And the Pharisees, these religious leaders, catch her and they, they drag her before Jesus. And they just kind of like sling her in front of Jesus. And they say, Jesus, the law says that we should stone her. What do you say? They were trying to trap Jesus. The first thing I always wonder was like, where's the dude? Drag his butt in there too. Where's the guy at? But they say, what do we do, Jesus? The law says we can stone her. So should we stone her? And Jesus says this, he has this amazing answer. And he says what? He who has no sin cast the first stone. You can just imagine these guys, right, as they're, they're in this, this rage. They're just like foaming at the mouth. They're ready to, to kill this lady in their self-righteousness for her sin. And you can kind of just picture them kind of, kind of looking down at the ground and shaking their heads and one by one just dropping their rocks and walking off until it was only the lady and Jesus left. The Gospels tell us that Jesus was stooped down and he was, 
He was riding something in the dirt. We don't know what he was riding. There's all kinds of speculation about what he may have been riding in the dirt. But he looks up at the lady and he says, Lady, where are your accusers? Did not even one condemn you? She says, no, Lord, not even, not even one. Not even one. And Jesus says, well, neither do I. Go and sin no more. Jesus loved her first. Jesus protected her first. Jesus went to bat for her first. And as the woman sat there, surely just stunned by this type of love that this man had for her, just basking in the grace that she had just experienced, Jesus looks at her and he says, beloved, go and sin no more. See, he didn't compromise, did he? Jesus didn't say, hey, listen, it's okay to go sleep with whoever you want. Go own your own truth, lady. No, he challenged her sin, but he loved her like nobody had ever loved her before. Do you see the pattern, church? No condemnation, only love and then truth. Jesus modeled this for us flawlessly. Let's pick up back in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 7, verse 3. Jesus says, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye? But do not notice that the log is in your own eye. Or how can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye when there's a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then, and only then, will you see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Now, this is pretty funny. Jesus is illustrating this spiritual truth for us by painting a picture. He says, listen, if you have a tree trunk hanging out of your eyeball, you can't see clearly enough to take the speck of sawdust out of your brother or sister's eye. And here's the point. Here's our next big truth. Believer, don't be a log-eyed hypocrite. Don't be a log-eyed hypocrite. I always cringe just a little bit when I'm, occasionally I'll be, um, you know, just scrolling through TV channels like late at night or something, and um, I come across a, a pastor who's preaching, and oftentimes he's, you know, red-faced, and the veins are about to explode in his forehead, and, you know, he's just railing on something. And also, because I'm a preacher, I stop, and I'm always curious and uh, typically, he'll be preaching on something like uh, how important it is to keep our bodies pure and holy as God's temple. And yes, amen, I agree with that. And he's just, but he's going off on something. He's on his little hobby horse, and he's, he's just like railing on smoking or alcohol consumption or whatever it is. And the guy's like 300 pounds overweight. I'm like, dude, Really? Really, you, you might want to do a little self-evaluation before you preach that sermon next time. It's the same thing. You go to a doctor, right, and the doctor tells you, man, you really, your heart's in bad shape, man. You need to stop eating fast food or you need to stop doing whatever. You need to stop smoking. You're like, okay, doc, I'll do it. You check out. You go in the parking lot, and that same joker's out there lighting up with a double cheeseburger in his hand. I'm not listening to that guy. He's got a log hanging out of his eye. You go clear that log out, and then maybe we'll talk, brother. So Jesus is saying, look, you need to deal with your own sin before you can help someone else with their sin. Deal with the idols in your heart that are wrecking your marriage. Deal with the idols that are, that are actually destroying your relationship with your kids. You deal with those, and then perhaps you can see clearly enough to help somebody else. Now notice 
Jesus doesn't say not to help our brother with a speck in his eye, does he? He doesn't say never help your brother who has a speck in his eye. He just says we need to do some serious self-examination. We need to deal with our own sin before we can help someone else with theirs without being just massive hypocrites. Listen, friend, this is, this is a big deal. If there's one criticism that consistently gets lobbed against the church or one criticism that consistently gets lobbed against Christians, it's, man, they're a bunch of hypocrites. You probably heard that a million times, right? Man, they're a bunch of hypocrites. I don't need church. They're a bunch of hypocrites. Christians are a bunch of hypocrites. And to some degree, that will always be true because we are all broken, fallen people, and we mess up. And that's not just true for Christians. That's true for every group in the world. But in another sense, but in another sense, it's a real shame because many Christians have been hypocritical in the sense that they operate from a place of self-righteousness. They operate from this place of self-righteousness like they're better than somebody else. Believer, listen, our posture should always be that of a beggar simply telling other beggars where we found the bread. Let us not be self-righteous hypocrites. And just confession time, being completely honest, here's what I've noticed about myself. I am really good. I'm like expert level at seeing other people's sin. Like a spiritual gift of mine or something. I'm really good. I can sniff it out a mile away. Dude walks in the door, sinner. And I probably can guess what sin he's involved in. I'm really good at it. It's amazing. Here's what I'm not good at, seeing my own sin. I'm not nearly as good at sniffing out my own sin as I am other people's sin. And even worse, when I do see my own sin, so often, shamefully, I am a master at justifying it. Well, if she wouldn't have said that, then I wouldn't have responded this way, like a little toddler. Right? I mean, it's it's just shameful, just making excuses. And Jesus is saying, no. If you want to be my disciple, you must deal with your own sin first. And that's our next big truth in this text. Take your own sin seriously, friend. Take your own sin seriously. Deal with it. Have people pray for you. Listen, we want this church to be a safe place and a real place. God knows there are enough churches out there where you can just go and pretend and put on your plastic smile and fake it like you've got it all figured out. We want new life to be different. That's one reason why we constantly encourage people who come into our church to find community within our church. Listen, we need people who know us and love us anyway. I need people who know me, who know me off the stage, who know the real me with all my shortcomings and faults, and still love me. And you need that too. We need people to pray for us. We need people to encourage us. We need people to help us along in this journey called life. And listen to me, friend, that only happens in relationships. That only happens in relationships. And relationships only happen in small circles. They don't happen in big crowds like this. So friend, let's take our own sin seriously. Let's relentlessly remove the logs from our own eye so that we can help our brothers and sisters with the speck in their eyes. Then Jesus ends this 
uh, teaching block, this teaching section, with a really perplexing comment in verse 6. Listen to what he says. Jesus says, Do not give dogs what is holy. Do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Dogs, pigs, pearls, animals attacking people. What in the world is Jesus talking about here? Well, first, I think it's good for us to understand that in Jesus' day, dogs were primarily wild beasts, not family pets. So this isn't little Fido that you cuddle with on the couch as you binge watch Netflix at night that Jesus is talking about. He's talking about filthy, mangy, oftentimes violent packs of dogs that would in that day, in the first century, roam the streets, they would roam garbage dumps, and people would stay away from these packs of wild dogs because they were literally dangerous. Dangerous. They were violent. Pigs were also considered a filthy animal in Jewish culture. The pearl here symbolizes the value of Jesus' kingdom. Now, let me ask you a question. If you had a really valuable pearl, so just imagine that you had inherited a beautiful pearl from like your great, 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 great grandmother, and it was worth like $500,000. You took that valuable pearl, that heirloom, and you just kind of like threw it down to a pack of wild dogs or pigs. What would happen? Well, I have a dog, so I know what would happen. The, the dog would come up because it's wondering if it's something that's edible, would sniff it. It would not recognize the value in that pearl. They're going to walk over it. And Jesus says, they might even come and eat you because you're more edible than the pearl. I think what Jesus was saying here is that, listen, there are some people in your life right now that aren't ready. They're just not ready. And so if you test the waters with someone, even after loving them, even after extending grace to them, and they are hostile to the truth, they are hostile to the gospel, if they're not ready yet to engage at that level, that's fine. Simply love that person and pray that God would begin to soften their hearts and open their eyes to the truth. Look, we were all once blind to spiritual truth, were we not? All of us were. God is the one who opens our eyes spiritually. He is the one who transforms our hearts. It is not our job to save anyone. And I don't know about you, but that brings me a great sense of freedom. It's not my job to save anybody. It's our job to love people and then present the truth to them. But if someone isn't ready, we give the Holy Spirit space to do his work. So here's the last big uh, idea from the text that I want us to press into. Believer, love everyone in your life, but invest in those who are ready. Love everyone, but invest in those who are ready. As Jesus would say, don't throw your pearls to dogs and pigs who are not yet capable of appreciating the value of the pearl. That doesn't mean that we give up on somebody. It doesn't mean that we write them off. It just means that we don't press someone beyond where God has them in that moment. I remember distinctly in 2006, I think it was. Yeah, 2006. Cheryl and I were newly married. We were just finishing up uh, my time in seminary. And we moved to Asia. And we were teaching in an English center. So we're working mostly with college students who are trying to improve their uh, English skills so they could get better uh, jobs in the professional world. 
And I remember as soon as I got there, there was this one young man, this Muslim man, who really, he really just took to me. We connected, and he wanted to hang out all the time. So the guy would just show up at my house almost every single day. We'd eat meals together in my home. He would just hang out in my house. So I was probably spending, you know, 20, 25 hours a week with this guy for months. And uh, I really loved spending time with the guy. And we would talk about everything. We could talk about sports. We could talk about politics. We'd have a great time. We could talk about food. But as soon as the conversation would turn to spiritual things, his eyes would just glaze over. I mean, just crickets. So whenever we would talk about Jesus, he, just com- he would completely shut down. So after months of this, I'm like, man, God, I'm only going to be over here for like two years, two and a half years. I'm giving like almost all my time to this guy who, who d- has no spiritual inclination at all. And so I made a really difficult decision to begin to pull away from this young man. Not that I ever turned my back on him. We still hung out. We were still friends. But I couldn't invest like half of my week with this guy. And as soon as I intentionally began to pull away from this guy, there was a new college student that came into our English center. And this guy was hungry, spiritually hungry. And I began to just share the gospel with him. And he, he believed the gospel. And he began to follow Jesus. I baptized him in somebody's backyard in a swimming pool. And then he, then he goes out and he starts telling all of his friends and his family members. He starts leading all these other people to Christ. Listen, if I never would have made that difficult decision to love everybody, but to invest in those who are ready, that maybe never would have happened. Listen, friend, we love everybody, but we invest in those who are ready. There's a Christian author named uh, Henry Blackaby, and uh, he once wrote, I love this quote, he said, find where God is working and join him there. Friend, God is working on people all around you. All around you. It's our job to figure out who's ready. It's our job to figure out who's ready. So we love all of them, but we invest in those who are ready to take the next step in their spiritual journey. As we close this morning, believer, let me just remind you that as, as people who have received grace... We must also be a people that give grace freely. Now listen, we don't sell out. We don't compromise on truth, but we lead with love. We lead with mercy because that's what we have received from God. Jesus tells this incredible story in the Gospels of a king. This wealthy king who decided that he wanted to begin to collect on his debts. So he began to call his servants in who owed him money. And he called in this one servant that owed him a ton of money. Let's just say he owed him a million dollars. And the king said to the man, unless you repay me that one million dollars, I'm going to throw you, your wife, and your kids in prison. And I'm going to sell you guys. And I'm going to sell everything you owe to repay this debt. And that servant fell at the feet of the king. And he pled with him and he begged and he wept and he said, please don't sell my family into slavery. Give me more time, I'll pay you back. The king looked at that man and he had pity on him. He looked at that man and he actually forgave his debt. He didn't just give him more time. He didn't just reduce his debt. He wiped it out. He said, you're a free man. You owe me nothing. And that man who was forgiven of much 
Jesus says, he goes out into the community and he finds a man who owes him a small amount. So he's like, just say he owes him $10. He says, man, you need to give me my $10 back. And the guy says, I need more time. I need more time. Please give me more time. And the guy starts to choke him out. And he throws him and his wife and his entire family in jail. And people in the community saw it. And they were rightly disturbed by it. And they went back and they told the king what had happened. When the king heard it, he was was rightfully enraged. And so he brought the servant back in and he looked at him and said, You wicked servant. You wicked servant. I forgave you of much. Shouldn't you also have mercy on those who owe you just a little bit? And he had the wicked servant thrown in jail until he could pay back every last penny. And Jesus said, Believer, how you treat other people is how the Father will handle you. Church, we we have been given much. We've been forgiven much. We've been loved greatly. How then can we not go out and do the same. So friend, let's deal with our sin patterns. Let's deal with the sin in our own lives. And then lovingly, with grace and truth, let's engage those who God brings into our lives. John 3, 17 says this, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Friend, God came to give us life and forgiveness. And so while we stand on truth, let us live with a posture of forgiveness and love just as God has done for us. Let me pray for us this morning. Jesus, this teaching isn't easy. For a lot of reasons, this is really hard. God, it's hard not to write people off. God, it's hard not to condemn people that seem hopeless, people that are even hostile to you, hostile to us. And God, it would be our confession that it's even hard to deal with our own sin. So often we're blind to our own sin. We can see everybody else's so clearly where we're blind to the own, our own sin, the log in our own eye, Father. And our tendency as people is to drift towards self-righteousness to condemn people, to write them off. So God, would you, would you help us to obey this teaching? God, we can't do this alone. We can't do this unless you help us. And so Father, would you, by the power of your Holy Spirit in us, would you help us to be a people of truth and a people of incredible grace? Winsome grace, God, that will point people to the God of grace so that they too could taste and see that you are good, so that they could experience you in all of your goodness and all of your gentleness and all of your love, all of your mercy and grace. God, would you use us in that way? God, would you use us in that way for our good, for your glory? We ask it all, Father, in the good name of Jesus, your Son, our Savior. Amen. Church, will you stand with me?